This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. And welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And you know what, Caroline? This episode, a, a rerun of the Oprah Winfrey show show, mm-hmm. is coming out on Christmas Day. Well, Oprah is one of my favorite things. That's right. I felt like a an update plus rerun on Oprah is a present in and of itself, don't you think? I agree. I mean, because here's the thing about Oprah. When this episode first aired on Stuff Mom Never Told You in late November of 2011, Oprah had just finished up with the Oprah Winfrey show and was going through this transition to the Oprah Winfrey network. And everyone was wondering, can Oprah weather the transition? Yeah, there were a couple of shaky moments there. Oprah Winfrey Network did not look like it was going to be as hot a commodity as her show was. But, I mean, she has proved herself to be a resilient lady, quite a tough cookie. And she not only has pulled through, but she is doing some pretty darn amazing things now. Yeah, Oprah kind of had the best 2013 <laughs> Ever. Yeah. Um, first, let's back up and just say that she has gotten the Oprah Winfrey Network on stronger footing with Oprah's next chapter, which is kind of the, the hallmark show of the entire network where she gets these exclusive celebrity interviews. Um, her interview, for instance, with Lance Armstrong when he fessed up to doping was a huge ratings boost. She's also talked to people like Lindsay Lohan and uh, the NBA player who came out, uh, Jason Collins. So she's figuring out how to do this whole new network thing. And she's even restarted up the Oprah book club, but it's now called Oprah's Book Club 2.0. So she's, you know, she's she's back in the game, but she really came back in the game this past year. Yeah. Forbes named her its highest earning celebrity of 2013 worth two point nine billion dollars. Yeah. And on top of that, on top of doing very well financially, she also received a little thing called the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is only the nation's highest civilian honor. Uh, she, she was awarded that medal by President Obama with the likes of Bill Clinton, Gloria Steinem, all sorts of incredible movers and shakers. And Oprah herself is quite a mover and shaker. She hit the big screen in Lee Daniels' The Butler, and she actually got a uh, Screen Actors Guild Award nod. So she might be up for a big award as Best Supporting Actress for the 2014 awards. 
She played Gloria, who's the wife of Cecil Gaines, a.k.a. the butler, played by Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, and people are saying that she is very likely going to get an Academy Award nomination for that role as well, which can you imagine Oprah turning 60 this coming year in January 2014, right around the time when the Academy Award nominations are coming out. And what if Oprah got an Oscar? What a good birthday present. Seriously, what can't she do? Well, she did declare in her magazine, oh, the Oprah magazine, that 2014 is your year to shine. And so on the cover, it's featuring her going through a, a lovely makeover. She goes from curlers to like a incredible sequin dress. I'm going to say... You know, all you haters out there who think it's silly that she's on her own cover every single time. I I mean, I, I don't mind it. I second that. I mean, just let Oprah be Oprah. Yeah. Because you know what? She has earned it, as you will learn or perhaps relearn in this special holiday rerun of a fan favorite episode from a ways back, the Oprah Winfrey Show Show. So take a listen. Just for this episode, we brought in uh, comfy couches. So that Caroline can jump on it at some right, point. Because I am in love with Katie Holmes. Yes. And um, yeah, we're, uh, we Kristen brought in a wagon of fat. Yes. And I also wrote a fictional memoir. Yes, that I will accuse you of uh, all sorts of things <laughs> it's because called, of it. It's called A Million Little Podcasts. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go, folks. Get ready, because we're talking about Oprah today. Uh, Because on May 25th, 2011, a date that will live in infamy, the last episode of the Oprah Winfrey Show aired. It did. And then, I mean, she started her own network, so. Yes. She didn't didn't go far. The Oprah Winfrey Network, which I'll go ahead and say up front that... uh, Discovery Communications, which is the owner of HowStuffWorks.com, is affiliated with. So we'll keep our Oprah Winfrey Network comments at bay because we really need to just talk about the woman and the show. Right. Because she's one of the most powerful and influential women in the world. Yeah. Okay, so where where do we start? I say we start with the show and talk about exactly how many people it has sucked into its orbit. Let's go for it. That is 48 million people were viewers of the show, wow. regular viewers of the show. That's Incredible. a lot of people. She affected the lives of so many people, whether she was telling you to buy a panini press mm-hmm. or, you know, helping you overcome something terrible in your life or giving you a Pontiac G6 sedan. Oh, God, let me tell. OK, sidebar. My mother religiously watched Oprah uh-huh. uh, for years, uh, for years, every day, four o'clock, watched Oprah. <laughs> she... The day, what, I don't remember what favorite things episode it was, but those episodes always made her so angry. Why? Because she wasn't getting the stuff. Aww. She's like, I have to watch all of these strangers get all of this stuff. She called her sister crying. Wow. One of the last, I don't, it was in the past couple of years. She called her sister crying and her sister was watching the show too and they just sat there and complained. Because she wanted the favorite things so badly. Yeah, those are some cool favorite things. Yeah. It would be, it would be. Oprah has good taste in like pajamas and stuff. (laughs) Pajamas and paninis. Uh, see, 48 million viewers, 150 countries. Yeah. The Oprah Winfrey show is beamed to. And just in terms of ad dollars alone, to give you an idea of the value 
of this talk show, a 30 second ad spot during her show, um, as it came toward the, uh, that finale on May 25th could run you a cool million dollars. Yeah. It was not cheap. No. I don't think I could just run like a personal ad (laughs) (laughs) during the Oprah show. It's like the Super Bowl of regular television. Of talk shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every day. Every day of the Super Bowl. And what kind of stuff did she talk about, Caroline? Well, I mean, part of her popularity was definitely that she brought so many previously taboo topics Mm -hmm. to the forefront. Uh, I mean, yeah, she had her favorite things episodes, which were definitely very popular. Everybody wanted to tune in and be told what to purchase. Um, but, I mean, she brought stuff forward um, like incest, domestic abuse, sexuality, addiction, depression, AIDS. And she used her own stories to mm-hmm. sort of bring people into it. Because I think it was in the 80s during a show, it was like the 88 or 87, where she admitted to her Viewers, the whole public that, you know, she had been abused as a child yeah. and, a, and a young, uh, young adult also. Uh, and of course, Oprah is not without her critics and her controversies, which we'll also talk about because for all of the influence that she has gained over the 25 years that she was on the air, uh, she has also launched the careers of other people such as Dr. Phil, Dr. Yeah. Oz, um, Rachel Ray, in fact, which I, which I didn't oh, realize. Yeah. Rachel Ray used to be on her show. And, um, and also the Oprah Book Club mm-hmm. that has made so many authors so much money and actually brought reading into the mainstream again, some people might argue. And, uh, yeah, with great power becomes great responsibility. And some people think that maybe she's abused that responsibility, but, uh, you know, the same time, she's done a lot of good as well, which we'll talk about with her philanthropy. Yeah. So much. Right, yeah. Well, speaking of philanthropy, she's reportedly given $350 million of her own money mm-hmm. to charitable organizations. And through her show, she's managed to raise more than $51 million, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, I believe the honorary Oscar that she was given this year was specifically for her philanthropic work, and uh, for instance, in 2007, she opened that Leadership Academy for Girls in South Africa, also kind of controversial, mm-hmm. um, kind of considering whether or not that was the best way to uh, to reach out to those girls. Right. Well, she also had, uh, she started the $12 million endowment at Morehouse. Mm-hmm. So that's a way of lifting people up. You know, she's she's trying to practice what she preaches, basically, yeah. on her show. And she's also invested a lot specifically into uh, the Chicago community, because mm-hmm. Chicago's really where she got her start in television. And speaking of which, why don't we... Why don't we offer a little bio of Oprah Gail Winfrey, born yeah. January 25th, 1954. Yeah, come with us. Come with us to Mississippi. Yeah. Go. Yes, come to... The farm on Mississippi where Oprah was born to her unwed teenage mother. And she was initially raised by her grandmother on the farm. And then she was sent off to Milwaukee to live with her mother. And she had a rather promising childhood in elementary school. Uh, she was a star pupil. In one of the television episodes, she actually brought back her favorite teacher from elementary school. Who kind of remembered. Who sort of kind of remembered. Um, she also enjoyed church involvement, other yeah. school activities. Yeah, she was frequently the one called on to, you know, say prayers mm-hmm. or she handed out graham crackers at school. She liked to, she was a participator. She was a joiner. Yes. A kind of a star personality from the get go. 
but then at the age of nine, she was molested and raped by her cousin who took care of um, her and her siblings while her mother was at work. And then um, in her adolescence, she was also raped by an uncle and a family friend, which really started, I mean, just this kind of history of personal tragedy mm-hmm. in Oprah's life. Yeah, she there was actually a quote from her where she was reflecting on her childhood of abuse and she just said at at one point I just had the thought of like okay well this is life. Yeah. Like this is what it's like. I you know how do I get away from this? But one thing she did say also is that from the very young very tender age of 4 she had this idea. Mm-hmm. And that there's a lot of talk about Oprah's idea. Yes. Um th- that she had for herself and that she never let go of and it, she said that uh it was sparked when she was four years old on the on her grandmother's farm and her grandmother was, you know, hanging clothes on the line or, you know, doing chores and stuff. And, and she was like, well, you're going to have to learn how to do this, too, one day. Mm-hmm. And Oprah was going, no, I'm not. Nope. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. I'm not doing what you're doing. So from a very young age, she was determined to be different, yeah. to achieve more and just rise up sort of beyond where she was. Now, with all of the uh, the childhood sexual trauma that was going on um, and her getting pregnant at the age of 14, it seemed like that dream that Oprah had would certainly not be fulfilled. That she was only following in the footsteps of her mother. Um, she Because she had been acting out, actually, she was sent to live with her father in Nashville. And her father is just horrified and ashamed that his 14-year-old daughter is pregnant. But she ends up losing the baby. And in a way, this is really the huge turning point for Oprah, where she refocuses herself in school. And I think she actually, I don't know if she graduated early, but she was... Um, her coursework was ahead of her age group, and she ends up earning a full scholarship to Tennessee State University. And in 1971, her real big break begins when she wins two pageant titles in that year, Miss Fire, Pre- Miss Fire Prevention and Miss Black Tennessee. And when she wins Miss Black Tennessee, she's noticed by the local black radio station, WVOL, that hires her as an on-air reporter. Mm-hmm. And this starts her career in media. Right. And the rest is history. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. She re- she really got going from a very young age and eventually started, uh, she had a morning show. Mm-hmm. In 1984, she breaks into the talk show circuit in Chicago, hosting AM Chicago in the same time slot as Phil Donahue. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, uh, Phil Donahue was one of the pioneers in sort of the, the girl talk, talk show format. Um, but he's going up against, or Oprah's going up against him. And needless to say, we all know what happens. Oprah gets her own show. AM Chicago is expanded in 1986 to an hour long format. And eventually Phil Donahue goes down the tubes. Right. Well, Oprah just has this way of relating to people. Yeah. She, she, you know, there, she walked out into the audience. She was part of the audience. Mm-hmm. She was asking questions of her guests, whether it was a celebrity, an author, or a criminal, or, you know, just a single mother. You know, she was asking questions that the audience themselves would want to know. Right. And so she had this way of, of dealing with people, this, this sort of empathy that, that made them more comfortable and able to share things. And, um, She's just, I guess she took her past experiences and were able to, was able to really use those on the show. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. 
Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And while we're under a quarantine, I will say HelloFresh has so many recipes. It's been wonderful because it gets me out of my rut and I'm able to try new recipes instead of my same old, same old. And they offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family so you don't have to have those stressful meal planning and grocery store trips. Even better, HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients means there's less prep for you and less food waste. So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. This episode is brought to you by Quip. When's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's new Smart Electric Toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more. The Quip Smart Brush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth, so you can track when you're brushing, get tips, you can earn points, and you can redeem those points for rewards. Already have a Quip? Upgrade it with a smart motor and keep the features you know and love. And beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine. Equal-friendly solar battery charger to power your Quip with sunshine and the refresh bag to bring you good oral care habits everywhere you go. Plus, you can get brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills delivered from $5. And shipping is free. How smart is that? Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today and go to getquip.com slash stuffmom right now to get your first refill free. That is your first refill free at getquip.com slash stuffmom, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash stuffmom. Quip, better oral health made simple and rewarding. And like you said, Caroline, um, when she was so open initially, very early in those talk show days about her history of sexual abuse, it really dismantled that fourth wall between the viewer and, you know, that person on the television talking directly to them and relating directly to them. And even now, 25 years later, when she is, you know, one of the richest women in the world, people are still able to relate to her on a very just kind of friendly basis. Right. You know? Like they would just run into her on the street and exactly. be like, hey, let's go get lunch, okay? Yeah, she's someone you'd see in a grocery store and just be able to have a chat with, even though she's obviously running in circles so beyond, you know, the, the everyday viewers. Right. Yeah. But no, she, well, part of her popularity is that she understands the full range of the quote unquote female experience. Mm -hmm. She knows that being a woman is not just about shopping, but it's not just about being a mother and having a family. There's, there's a whole range of things to being a woman. And Caitlin Flanagan in The Atlantic, I thought, had a good quote about it. Um, she said that Oprah can move so easily between episodes about, on the one hand, rape and domestic violence, and on the other, shopping and decorating, demonstrates not a lack of focus, but the fact that she understands the full equation of the female experiences in ways that few others have. Yeah, and it's not only just the female experience, but also the black female experience mm-hmm. on television, so open for one of the first times. And that's something that, too, that she's been um, very consistent with of supporting the black community and supporting 
other black women. And I think that's one of the reasons, too, why she's made such a significant impact, because she's, I don't know, I feel like she's been able to, in her own way, love her or hate her, been able to bridge certain communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, she was inspired by so many different women on television. So I think she took bits and pieces from everybody and, you know, and then incorporated them into her own experience. Mm -hmm. You know, she said that she had so much admiration for, um, Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. And she was so excited to see Diana Ross on television and seeing Sidney Poitier getting out of a a, a limousine at the Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. So she was just so inspired by all of these things she saw on television and other women hosting talk shows and everything. That, you know, she was able to combine her knowledge, her life experience with a really sassy television show. Exactly. With an incredible amount of influence. Uh, for instance, with the Oprah Book Club. Okay. Oh, yeah. We got to talk about the Oprah Book Club. Mm-hmm. Um, it was launched in 1996 and the first book that she promotes was Jacqueline Mitchard's The Deep End of the Ocean. And since then, the number of books sold since being selected on her show, fifty-five million. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and only eleven of the books uh, that she's ever singled out have not made it on to the USA Today bestseller list. Basically, if Oprah likes your book, you are I right. Mean, it's, it's or payday. your Panini Press, or your <laughs> vacuum cleaner, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, she. There's been a lot. There's been a lot of flack mm-hmm. over this whole book club thing yeah. because, on the one hand, it's getting people to read. You know, like she's encouraging people to read. She's bringing people in and being like, yes, country as a whole. Let's let's all read this book together and talk about it. It's it gives people a sense of community, mm-hmm. um, even though it's on television and she's so rich and so far away. <laughs> you know, you're still part of something. And so she's encouraging all these people to read. But on the other hand, there are a lot of people who say, well, you're not picking the right kinds of books or your book club is not cool enough for my book, which was the case with uh, Jonathan Franzen. Oh, yeah. Please, please talk about this Jonathan Franzen controversy, because this one I, I was not aware of this. The uh, Franzen episode. Right. He um, he wrote the novel Corrections, which is fantastic. Well, I highly recommend it. I mean, it's good that you like it. Have you ever watched Oprah? Because he doesn't think that people who watch Oprah would get his book. He, yeah. he, he said that it would be too hard for them. Ooh. Burn. And basically he's saying that it would be too hard for the stereotypical uh, middle-aged housewife yeah. to it, read this book. Basically. Jonathan Franzen. I know. He's like, yeah, that's nice and all, but don't put your corporate logo on my book. Come on. I read that. That was my poolside read a few summers ago. <laughs> <laughs> so not Come that on, not that challenging. And I did not need my unabridged dictionary beside <laughs> me to figure out the plot. Line. Your old English, <laughs> yeah, my magnifying glass. And also, I mean, she sent uh, Tolstoy's Anna Karenina back up to number one in what two thousand four. Yeah, what? I mean, I've never. I mean, I've never even read Anna Karenina. <laughs> really? I mean, I admit it. Hey, they're fine. Hey, maybe you should join the Oprah Book Club. <laughs> I know. Well, I did pick up. I picked up um, Love in the Time of cholera at so the grocery good. store you know we've in our in our romance novel podcast we talk about mass market paperbacks mm-hmm. like sold at you know whatever big box store or the grocery store or whatever and yeah there are oprah book club books at the grocery store yeah and so i picked up love in the time of cholera and hey, some of went, it, along with my cereal or whatever <laughs> you know. and some of it is fantastic literature i mean i think the fact that so many more people now know about authors such as tony morrison and alice walker yeah who are two of oprah's most favorite uh, female authors, 
I would attribute that to Oprah. But at the same time, though, we got to talk about things like The Secret. Ooh, yeah, pseudoscience. Yeah, she's definitely gotten a lot of flack for her promotion of pseudoscience. Mm -hmm. So books like The Secret, which basically say... Um, so all these bad things that are happening to you, you're just not putting enough positive energy out into the universe. So right. it's, it's your fault. It's all about the, the universal law of attraction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've met people who firmly believe in the power of the secret. I personally have never read the secret. Um, but uh, at the same time, yeah. it is, you know, it, when you have that, again, it's going back to that thing of what do you do when you have such incredible influence like mm-hmm. Oprah has. When you make decisions to promote things like The Secret and bring Jenny McCarthy on to talk about a autism vaccine connection that is yet to be verified by any kind of scientific study. You can read more about that on HowStuffWorks.com if you don't believe me. Um, and bring on Suzanne Summers, who is going over her, uh, her controversial health regimen to keep her young, Mm-hmm. In the vein of, uh, what's that guy on Parks and Recreation? Rob Lowe's character, <laughs> who will live forever. Um, yeah. And then, you know, launching the careers of people like Dr. Phil, who again, probably has just as many, if not more critics as he does followers. Right. Well, all this, all this stuff that we were just talking about, about, um, pseudoscience and whatnot. And how, you know, there's, there's all this talk of Oprah and the Oprah show. As a religion. Yeah. Yeah. And how, you know, she was raised um, in the Baptist church. And so religion played a big part in her life. And like we said, as, as a child, church was really important to her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, through her show, she sort of promoted all of this, this just different veins, just different types of religion. And she's talked about different ways to find spirituality. And that's kind of the key is that she's definitely focused more on spirituality and finding inner peace than she is talking about, like, a particular religion. Right. Catherine Lofton, uh, she's an assistant professor of American Studies and Religious Studies at Yale, has has a lot to say about Oprah. Yeah. In fact, she wrote a book be- called Oprah, the Gospel of an Icon. She argues that Oprah has become a religion, quote, because she invites ritual processes towards her and her iconography fosters produced ritual. And that ritual critics say is that people run out and buy stuff sort of the whole idea of consumption fulfilling that uh right. self need mm-hmm. but at the same time like I, you can argue it so many different ways because yes obviously with segments like favorite things um you can uh say that that promotes just a, consu- a false consumerism and yes there's a pseudoscience aspect of it um but it does seem like at the root of all of it it's not a bad message that she is promoting at the end of the day, which is living your best life yeah. and enriching yourself and also being open and sharing your experiences mm-hmm. with other people. Um, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of hard. It's like, I keep doing this motion with my hands of the, the weighing the scales because there, there is, you know, stuff that you can say on, on either side. Right. And for someone like me, like, I feel like I'm a very, uh, I'm basically like Switzerland when it comes to <laughs> Oprah. I never really grew up with Oprah. Um, my mom never really followed Oprah. I had roommates um, who were really obsessed with Oprah. But I just, I, I don't know, she was never really that much a part of my life. So I, I recognize the impact that she has and also have been taken aback at certain times by 
you know, maybe pulling out a wagon of 67 pounds of lard <laughs> right. and choosing to promote certain things. It's interesting how strong the reactions are to Oprah. Mm-hmm. Like, people out there are obsessed with her. Like, they might do, you know, like the Michael Jackson concert thing and, like, totally start crying <laughs> and pass out. Or, you know, they just totally slam her and say that she's fake, she's materialistic, mm-hmm. you know, she's promoting all of this junk science. But, you know, I, I'm the same way I, as as you. I, I You know, I, I see the good she does. Yeah. She's encouraging people to read. You know, she's encouraging people to overcome bad circumstances in their life. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't I read O Magazine. <laughs> Which we gotta, love O Magazine. We haven't mentioned O Magazine. Forbes named O Magazine the most successful startup in the entire industry ever. Yeah, well, it's I incredible. mean, when you already have a humongous base yeah. of of fans and followers and people who love you and who will do anything that you say, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think the, the time when I was most astonished by Oprah's sheer power was during the presidential election and the controversial sway that she had in uh, pulling for Barack Obama. I mean, it was it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the it, fact that a talk sh- I mean, think about it. Like, break it down. Host. A talk show host can go into the political arena and show up at a rally with Obama and be like, this is who I have picked. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I mean, mean like, what right? other, what other, could, Larry King couldn't do that. <laughs> I mean, like, what other talk show host could do that? Incredible that she can do that. And yet still form that in sociological terms, that parasocial relationship with a viewer that allows us to still, you know, people like your mom mm-hmm. to still relate to her as a friend. Right. Yeah. Women's talk. Women's talk. Yeah. I mean, lover or hater, like you, you gotta give it to Oprah that she has done something pretty incredible. Yeah. And now that she's, you know, moved into this new project of trying to build her own network, it'll be really interesting to see whether or not that influence will only grow or if it will wane. But at this point, I mean, she's, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and hey, you know what? If you want to put yourself on the cover of your own magazine every month, I say do, do it. it. It's your magazine. Do whatever you want. I'll read it. I don't care. I know people. People <laughs> use the the fact that Oprah's only had she's had a, she shared the cover with Michelle Twice. Obama. Yeah, and who else? Ellen. And with Ellen DeGeneres. I think it was in the same year. So she's like, let's knock it all out at once. <laughs> and people, say, you know, use that as some uh, uh, sign of this egomaniac. Yeah. And of course, there are, you know, the gossipy anecdotes about her being just an incredibly demanding and crazy boss to work for. And I'm sure when you are running one of the most successful production companies in modern media, yeah, you probably are putting in 16 hour days. And I'm sure if you're one of the most powerful women in the world, you probably do get kind of crazy sometimes. Yeah, hey, I get cranky when I'm tired and (laughs) I am on, you know, I'm managing nothing. And I think... It's pretty impressive that a woman who is ranked the number three most powerful woman in the world behind Michelle Obama and Irene Rosenfeld, who's a, an executive at Kraft, has kept her love life private. I right. mean, we, we all, everyone in the world knows who Stedman Graham is. Right. And Gail King, her best friend, right. and all of the absurd speculations that go on. Right. But I mean, I think it's pretty impressive when you have celebrity divorces and babies and marriages and whatever on the news all the time, like two seconds after they happen. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody's chasing down Oprah being like, oh, my God, let me get a picture of you eating with Stedman. Oprah doesn't need it. She yeah, she just waves her finger and it's like, nope, 
Well, imagine. I mean, if you are that influential and that A-list of a celebrity, you gotta, I'm sure you have to protect your privacy Absolutely. fiercely or else, I mean, you're just never gonna have any time off the camera. Mm-hmm. What else can we say? I mean, there's just so much. There's so much to Oprah. Yeah. She's multifaceted. I, she, she impresses me so much. The fact that she, as a four-year-old, had this idea that she was gonna be different. Mm-hmm. And she proceeded to take every opportunity that she could. Yeah. And she rose to the stature that she has now. And if anything, you got to give it to her for bringing those taboo subjects out of the closet and talking about them yeah. and making us maybe more comfortable um, talking about issues amongst ourselves, too. Mm-hmm. Taking down that fourth wall. Exactly. So we hope you enjoyed listening to, revisiting really, our Oprah uh, Winfrey Show show uh, this holiday season. And if you are Oprah, um, we are two podcasters who are available to appear on the Oprah Winfrey Network at any time. That's right, because the Oprah Winfrey Network, I think as we mentioned in that episode, is a part of the How Stuff Works and Discovery Communications family. So you know what, Caroline? Oprah is kind of like our coworker. That's right. She probably has nicer shoes than I do, but she is still a colleague. Yeah, and if she would ever want to name us as one of her favorite things, we would be fine with that. Yep. So, and that would be the most magical Christmas present of all. (laughs) But I do hope that all of you listening are having a happy and hopefully restful holiday season. And if you have any thoughts at all to share on Oprah, did you see Lee Daniels, the butler? I have yet to see it. I need to see it because apparently her portrayal, as we mentioned, is stellar. Yeah. So if you've seen it, let us know. Momstuffatdiscovery.com or any other thoughts on Oprah, Gail Steadman, what have you. You can send them our way or you can tweet us at momstuffpodcast. You can message us on Facebook as well. And we have a couple of messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So we know, listeners, it's been rough for a lot of people out there, and we've been very open about our experiences with therapy and how it's been so helpful for us in the past and in the present. And because of that, we wanted to highlight a service that we think might be of help to you all, BetterHelp, which offers licensed online counselors who are trained to listen and to help. You can talk with your counselors in a private online environment at your own convenience from wherever you're comfortable. And BetterHelp counselors have expertise in a broad range of areas. They can give you access to help that might not be available in your area. And you just have to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with a counselor in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is an affordable option and our listeners get 10% off your first month with a discount code MOMSTUFF. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash MomStuff. That's BetterHelp.com slash MomStuff. Talk to a therapist online and get help. This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night. 
And it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. And what I thought was just going to be a, a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. <laughs> hours we played. Hours. And uh, yes, I lost, but I had fun. You had fun. <laughs> well, obviously, it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code MOM at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. And now, back to our letters. So we've got a couple of letters to share from our episode a while back on beauty salons versus barbershop. And Megan wrote us... Big fan of the podcast, been listening for years. Thanks, Megan. I had a couple of thoughts when listening to the Beauty Salon versus Barbershop episode. As a white woman with a very large amount of extremely curly hair, I have spent my life walking into hair salons and seeing the hairdressers blanch because they have no idea how to cut curly hair well. Because I'm not black, they can't use the we-don't-cut-that-kind-of-hair excuse, so they have to give it a try, and generally I end up with terrible haircuts. When I moved to a city with a large black population, I found I preferred going to black salons because they know what they were doing with my hair. Also, as a side note, I have a degree in public health, and during my schooling, we studied several programs that used beauty salons to promote positive health, particularly in the black community. Some that come to mind are program advertising, breast cancer screening, and an educational program involving flyers about diabetes and heart disease, since they disproportionately affect the black community. Love the podcast and keep up the good work. Well, thanks, Megan. And I have a letter here from Mallory. She says, thanks so much for highlighting the life and career of Madam C.J. Walker in your hair salon podcast. I am an Indianapolis native, which is where Walker based her beauty empire. Indy is so proud of our cultural heritage, and Madam Walker is a big part of it. There's a theater in the city that she built as a cultural hub and also to house her company. The theater is named after her and is still operational. I had the opportunity to perform there once as a high school student, and it is truly a gem in the city. Walker has always been interesting to me because she really is one of the most successful Indianapolis entrepreneurs of historical note, male, female, black, or white. I love that she melded her business and cultural affinities to support the community. As an artist, I think it's important for business leaders to support the arts, and Walker was a thought leader in our city, pioneering this idea as well. One of the things I love about Indianapolis is our robust African-American culture. I don't think many realize this because Indiana is also the historical home to several KKK Grand Dragons. However, the city of Indianapolis is truly world-class and has many different cultures to thank for its development. I love to hear about the rich heritage of my state and city, and I'm thrilled that one of our major cultural contributions made it to your podcast. So thank you for writing in, Mallory. And thanks to everybody who's written in. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also tweet us at Momstuff Podcast. Find us on Facebook. Like us while you're at it. You can also follow us on Tumblr at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. You can also find us on Instagram as well. Look at all of our pictures at Stuff Mom Never Told You. And why don't you look at all of our videos while you're at it? Just head on over to youtube.com slash stuff mom never told you. And don't forget to subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality, at our inability to get basic things done, at the persistence of systemic racism? You're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point, but which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other, through a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Menke's Grim and Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.